Well, jumping back into Hebrews chapter 5, kind of picking up where Brad left off last week, I want to give you a quick reminder. Hebrews was written to three groups of people. It was written to the first group primarily as a group of believers, uh, followers of Jesus who have been reborn by the Holy Spirit. They have committed and professed Him. So they acknowledge Him with their head. They bought in with their heart and they're all in. They're struggling, but they're all in. That's the first group He's trying to encourage. The second group of people He's writing to in this uh, letter is He's writing to people who have professed Him in their, uh, with their mouth. Maybe in their head they believe in Him. They've left Judaism but they've not really turned toward Christ. They haven't yielded their life to Christ. He's not their king. They've not been reborn by the Holy Spirit. And so they're kind of playing at it, but they're not there yet. They're not all in. And then there's a third group who's still waffling, trying to figure out, well, I don't even know if I really believe all that. And So he, he really lumps groups two and three together in these warnings. He gives five warnings starting in chapter two. Remember the first warning was uh, those that ignore his invitation, be careful, you're going to drift and you can drift right out of his kingdom. You've been exposed to the message, so don't drift. That's the first warning. The second warning was in Hebrews three. And it was to people that hear, but harden their heart. They just don't want to yield to Him. And He says, today if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. These were complaining people. These were people that always wanted things on their terms. It's like the children of Israel He referred to. They come out of Egypt. They've been blessed by God. But oh, He wants us to go here and He wants us to be hungry for a little while. We would have been better off in Egypt. Oh, we come here, He wants us to be thirsty for a little while. Instead of saying, okay, God, I'll be thirsty as long as you want me to because I trust you. And we do the same thing, don't we? God, I want you, but I want you this way. I mean, come on. Do you really want me to have to do this over here? Whatever it is. And so that warning to them was, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear His voice, don't let your heart be hardened. Let it be yielded to Him because He's King and He's a worthy King. And now this is the third warning in Hebrews 5, 11. And this warning stretches out. This is the intro today, 5, 11 through 14. But the first part of chapter 6 through verse 12, we see, we see the rest of the warning. So from Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 12 is this warning. Don't waver, be all in. Don't waver. You know what it means to waver? Yeah. Fluctuate. Don't be fickle. Don't be going back and forth. <clears throat> Don't do that, he says. So Hebrews um, chapter 6, verse 12, really sums up the whole warning. He says, So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Don't be sluggish, lazy, stupid. The word that he uses in today's passage is really stupid. It's it's like, don't be stupid. And he's talking about Christ as our high priest. Last week, Brad 
talked about Christ as our high priest and he mentioned this guy named Melchizedek. We don't know a lot about Melchizedek, but Melchizedek plays a role in this warning because he starts off, he's talking about Christ as our high priest. And, you know, I don't know everything that Brad shared, but as I looked at that passage in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, I basically saw there was three things about Jesus as our high priest that it looked like he was trying to communicate. One, he was a divinely qualified representative. He was human. He had to be human to represent us to God. Because my bus driver, um, you ask about my bus driver. He asked me over in there, he's a Jewish guy, he's a secular Jew. He said, I just don't understand. If Jesus is God, why was he human? That makes no sense to him. And I said, because if He wouldn't have been human, He couldn't have died. If He couldn't have died, He couldn't have been our sacrifice. Because there had to be a penalty for our sin. And so He, he, he was the perfect high priest and He was the perfect sacrifice. He came from humanity to represent humanity. And so He was a divinely qualified rep, but He was also compassionate, divinely compassionate mediator. And... Uh, you know, as you think about mediation, if you've ever been to a mediation with an attorney, how compassionate are those mediators? Do they really care about you? They're not, they don't care about you. They're just trying to make sure you follow the letter of the law, right? But not Jesus. He's compassionate. He walked as a human. Everything that you are tempted with, he's been tempted with. And yet he never gave in. So he's gone through more pain than you have because he never gave in. And so he's compassionate to understand and he mediates on our behalf. And that was what it was talking about. And then the third thing it says was that he was a divinely chosen advocate. He was appointed by God. He was appointed. You don't just say, I want to be the mediator. God the Father says, you will be the mediator. He chose him to be that. And he, and he brings up Melchizedek and you go, wait a minute, who is this Melchizedek guy? Why is that important? Well, you got to remember, who's he writing to? Who's the audience? Jews. Jews, right? Think about this for a second. This will give you a little bit of insight. He's writing to Jewish people. To be a priest, what was required to the Jewish people? You had to be from the tribe of Levi, a descendant of Aaron, right? Was Melchizedek a descendant of Aaron? Was he a Levite? So, guess what? The writer is trying to communicate to them something that would have been a stumbling block for them, for Jesus to be a high priest. And, but he, as he's starting to make this argument, he realizes that there's people in this group that aren't all in. They don't even get the ABCs of, of, of Judaism. And so he goes, wait a minute, i got to warn them again. And so he takes this break to talk to them about, uh, he was going to talk to them about Melchizedek, but he stops to warn them. And then he picks up again in chapter 7 like they get it at some point. And it's, it's very insightful. I'll bring it up at the end why I think he does that. But this is a warning. So he starts off talking about Christ as our high priest like Melchizedek. 
But then he gives them the warning. So let's read this in chapter 5, verses 11. And I want you to think about these three things that he's warning about. It's really the consequences of wavering. And one of them is that wavering hinders our spiritual understanding of His Word. When you waver... Now these principles are... This is really talking about unbelievers, but I believe it can also be applied to us as believers. If you are wavering in your obedience to Christ, can that cause you to not be able to understand God's Word? Yes. Yes. You know why? Because I want you to think of a pipe in your house and it being clogged up. When you are being disobedient to God, knowingly, (laughs) willingly, and, and walking in rebellion to Him, it is like putting a big old block of hair and gunk in the pipe of His Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's left you, but that's why you need to confess your sins every day in 1 John 1.9 it says. So that you are clean. Like Peter, wash your feet, Peter. Mikvah, people. Go in and go in to, to symbolize. I don't want anything to be blocking the flow of God's Spirit in my life. Because there's a difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And you can actually inhibit the filling if you continue in willful disobedience as a believer. And so he says. Here to these unbelievers, be careful. Wavering hinders spiritual understanding of His Word. Second, he says, wavering delays spiritual service and wastes time and resources. It, it, it delays spiritual service. In other words, if you're being, when I was in the Marine Corps, and I was being trained, or especially as a, as a pilot, if I was being trained how to teach other people how to fly, but I was still struggling in basic flight methods, and they had to go back and train me again in basic flight methods, I'm taking resources away that ought to be being training other people to train me who's supposed to be a trainer. Does that make sense? Yes. And so... Wavering delays spiritual service and it wastes time and resource. The third thing is, wavering prevents spiritual growth and possibly spiritual life in Christ. When you're wavering back and forth, it, it definitely prevents spiritual growth when you're wavering. But it also could possibly lead to a lack of spiritual life ever being there. And that's what he's warning. And, and we'll see in chapter 6 as we go for, forward that there's a danger. If you keep wavering, you may actually allow yourself to be wavered to where your conscience is so seared, you don't even want to hear the gospel. And, and trust me, I've shared the gospel with people and they keep putting you off and putting you off and putting you off and finally they just become hard to it. They never want to even hear it again. And that's what he's talking about. So let's read it. We're going to come back and unpack those in the next 20 minutes. Starting in verse 11 of chapter 5 of Hebrews. About this, we have much to say. About what? Well, let's go back to verse 10. He says, Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so he makes that statement. And then he goes, About this, we have much to say. 
And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. May God bless His Word. You're hard. It really says you're dull of hearing. The the, the, The literal translation of that is you're stupid. You're sluggish and stupid. Sluggish and stupid. This wavering is illustrated in the Old Testament in the text of 1 Kings. And if you remember, Dave, when I took us up to Mount Carmel and went up there and I told the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. And Elijah's up there confronting Ahab who was a king who was wavering. And his people were wavering. Why was he wavering? Because he was wavering. And he was wavering between... He named his kids with Jewish names, but he was never really all in. He married Jezebel, who likes the Asherah. They were idols. And Asherah and Baal, Baal specifically, was the god of thunder. And they believed that what happened is, is if you would simulate sex, or not simulate sex, but if you would have sex with each other in the temple, that it would simulate Baal and Asherah having sex and their union would produce rain for the the crops, the crops would be blessed, the land would be fertile, and people would be rich because they would have a lot of crops. And so that's the way they did that. But they would do sacrifices as well and other things. It was pagan. And the people of Israel got sucked into it. And they actually believed it. And so Elijah goes up there and he says this in 1 Kings 18.21. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? He says, if the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, then follow Him. And here's what's so tragic. It says, and the people did not answer Him a word. I would hope that if I said, listen guys, if the Lord is God, then let's follow Him. But if the world is God, then follow it. That you would go, we're following God. That's who we're following. Back in Joshua, at the end of Joshua, when Joshua is giving this challenge to the people, he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then all the people said, we will too. We will serve the Lord. We will obey Him. But here they didn't say anything. And I think it's, a, 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 it's just a picture of what the writer to Hebrews is saying to them. He's saying, don't waver. Don't waver. He says, listen, I can't even explain to you about Melchizedek and Christ and the priesthood because you don't even know the ABCs. That's what that basic principles means. He says, you ought to have somebody teach you the basic principles. The, the, the literal meaning is like the, the most elementary basic 
teaching the ABCs of Judaism, of the oracles of God, he says. So he's warning them, first of all, that the wavering hinders their spiritual understanding. He can't teach them because they can't grasp it. Dull of hearing toward God's Word. By the way, that Greek word for hearing there is in the same word in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament used for Shema. You know what Shema means, right? It's a hearing that produces an action. So what he's saying is, if you really bought in and you really heard to where it produced an action with you, then I could teach you. But you're not there. Have you ever heard this? The Bible is boring. That's amazing. You know, the Bible is just boring. You know, my preacher was preaching last week. It was so boring. You see, we're focused more on delivery method than content. And what we got to realize that I don't care if he's... The, do you know Jonathan Edwards was one of the most unbelievable preachers in the history of man. He preached one time a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the people in the pew were so convicted, they left claw marks in their pews. And he read every message monotone. Everyone. Because he didn't want his personality influence the hearers at all. But we've evolved today to a group of believers that have to be entertained by the message. We have to appreciate the fact that somebody's going to make us laugh or somebody's going to make it interesting. Think about this. We don't spend a lot of time in Leviticus. But do you know for the Levites that their lives depended upon doing the right things based on Leviticus? Have you guys ever worked on electrical wire? You ever read electrician notes or how you put things together? You ever put in a ceiling fan, Amos? Unfortunately, so. Yeah. When you mess with, when you, what, you remember the first time you did that? Were you watching the instructions at all or are you just winging it? <laughs> a little of both. <laughs> I bet you didn't wing it too much when you got near the wires, though, did you? Because <laughs> it's dangerous, right? See, the problem for most of us is we don't view God as holy as He is. And we don't view ourselves as needy as we are. So when we go to church on a Sunday or we go to a Bible study, we just sit down and we want to receive. And as we receive it, it's just like we take it or leave it instead of seeing it being the very words of life. I taught the guys um, and the gals when we were in Israel and I was sharing with Brad the other day that when Jesus told the disciples, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand any. He was, he was taking His listeners back to a passage in Jeremiah about preparing the ground. And as He prepared the ground, what would have come into their mind was from Jeremiah 29 where He says, My word is a fire. And the fire burns off the stuff in my life that's preventing the Word from going into it. And so if we don't spend time in the Word, then of course we're going to sit in there and expect it to be entertaining to us. We have to invest and spend time in the Word asking God, God, prepare my heart. 
plow up the ground in my heart so that when I go to church and I hear a message or I go to a Bible study and I hear a message, then it takes root in my heart and can produce some fruit according to what he said in that parable, 30, 60, even 100 fold. But the Word of God is about revelation. It's not about just making my life better. It's not about making me a better husband. Not about making me a better father. It's about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the sooner we can understand that, the more it's going to be impactful to us to hear what they say. Because it's about our Savior. It's about Jesus, who should be everything to us. And people go, I just have a hard time understanding it. Well, it's hard to understand algebra if you don't understand 2 plus 2 equals 4. You can't go here until you start here. And that's what he says. You guys don't even understand the basic principles. And that, listen, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, I love what Paul says to the Thessalonians. He says, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but it's what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ that are in Judea, for you suffered. He go, what he's saying is, guys, if you don't get anything else out of this first little thing here, this first principle, when you go to church, don't look at the guy presenting as nothing but a mouthpiece. He's not the author of what he's saying, hopefully. Hopefully, he's just the microphone that God's using to speak His Word. Certainly, when he reads the Scriptures, he is. When, the, when he starts like a while ago, when I read 11 through 14, that was the very Word of God. That was not Doug McCary saying something. That was God's Word. That should impact you. His Word should, should go into us and go, wow. And like Brad says so often, it's got to go through us. If the word just goes in, there's four types of learners, okay? I learned this from a Jewish guy. There's four types of learners. There's the funnel. It goes in and goes right out. That's not the kind of listener you want to be. All right? There's the strainer. It strains out the good and keeps the bad. You don't want to be that kind of learner either. There's the sponge. It just soaks up everything, good and bad. And that can be confusing. But then there's the sieve. The sieve sifts through, keeps the good, and lets the bad go through. And, and so when God's Word is taught, we want to be that sieve. We want to take in, okay, what is God communicating here? How can that impact my life? How can that make me love God more Understand I need Him more and then be able to communicate to other people who need hope better. But wavering back and forth certainly hinders our spiritual understanding of this Word. Second, he says that it also delays our spiritual service. He goes, listen, by this time you ought to be teachers. You should be teaching. He says, but now you need somebody to teach you again. Back to the drawing board. You can't teach if you don't know the basics. And he says the basic principles. You need somebody to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. What are the oracles of God? 
What does he mean by that? Violation of work. Ten commandments. Is it the gospel? Or is it the law? They weren't believers. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Jews, right? So he's taking them. He says the oracles got. Let me show you in Romans three one. Listen what it says. What advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. That's three two. So what are the oracles? It's what you said. It's the law. Paul said in Romans, I don't. I wouldn't know what. Sin was if it wasn't for the law. So what's the purpose of the law? Galatians 3, 23 and 24 says it's a schoolmaster to us. It's a guide. It's a teacher. It's a guardian. So the law actually reveals to you your need for Jesus. And in the Old Testament, it revealed the need for what? Forgiveness and faith. In both cases, whether it's the New Testament or Old Testament, the law reveals our need. And in the Old Testament, how did they how did they take care of that need for forgiveness? What did they do? Who did? Who sacrificed? The priest, the high priest. And so the high priest once a year would take a sacrifice from a father and a family and he would bring it. It had to be a perfect lamb. He would lay his hand on the head of that lamb and symbolically transfer his sins to that lamb the priest would then slit the throat of the lamb then take the blood and go sprinkle it on the mercy seat and the father would take back the forgiveness of the sins of that family for a whole year they would be right with god that's the way the process worked and when jesus came it says he is our great high priest one sacrifice the only sacrifice we need and they didn't get that. They didn't, even, they didn't even get the first part that it was about. See, they thought it was about the law and being righteous, not about being connected. It was never about being righteous. It was always being connected with God. And so he says, you need milk, which is pre-digested food. You can't even handle... You can't even handle... the, the sh- Listen, the Old Testament was kind of like a picture book. You know when you're teaching kids how to read? What do you start with? Pictures, right? Ball. A picture of a ball, B-A-L-L. Dad. A picture of a man, D-A-D. Cat. You start with pictures and then move to deeper things where there's writings. And he's saying, you guys got to go back to the most basic elementary. You got to go back. And so what he's doing is he's, he's saying that you're... you're Wavering is delaying your service. You're supposed to be teaching. You are the Jewish people. You were entrusted with this to go teach others, but now you're wasting resources because we've got to keep coming back and teaching you. And then he goes on to say in verse 14 that, well, let me go back to 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. What is the word of righteousness? Yes. So that right there tells me that he's talking to unbelievers here. They're unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child, 
But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. So wavering, he's saying you're a child, wavering has prevented your spiritual growth and you better be careful because it actually could prevent your spiritual rebirth. You may not ever be. It's, I mean, he's talking about, think about the discernment he's talking about. If you guys have kids, right? When you have young babies, when you have young babies, they pick up anything and eat it off the floor, don't they? They don't have any discernment what to take and what not to take. I mean, my, my Becca is like a little girl. I mean, a little baby, even though she's eight. She, she just, she'll take anything and eat it. She's like a little kid. I mean, there's no discernment there, and that's what he's saying. How are you going to have discernment if you always are just a little kid? You've got to... And he doesn't mean kid, baby in the sense of a baby Christian. He's talking about infant and understanding here. Let me read what Hebrews 6, 4 says. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, not baptized in the Spirit, but because of the Holy Spirit, they were able to understand in an intellectual way what the Gospel message was. And they tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. It's impossible. And you can get really confused if you think he's talking to believers there because it makes it seem like they can fall away. He's not talking to believers. He's talking to unbelievers. We just saw that. They're unskilled in the word of righteousness. So what does that mean? What does all this really mean for us? It means that we, we, we don't need to waver, guys. We have to be vigilant not only in our own lives, but when we share the gospel with people, warn them if they're wavering. Because if they waver too long, it can possibly cost them their spiritual life. Yeah, Dave? Today is incredible. You start with a guy who probably until recently felt like he was a believer because he was in church. Yeah. Like a car... Here's the thing. I, I'm telling you, what Elijah said is so relevant for us today. How long are we going to limp between the world? It's, it, it's not Baal. Baal is the world. 
How long are we going to limp between God and, and the world? And, and I just think that there's a wavering. People have bought in. Listen, so many people go to church and they sit in church every week and they believe they're part of the family of God simply because they listen and they go, that's a good message. I really like that message. Man, that's important. But they never go put God on display. They don't think of Jesus as the king of their world or the king of their life. And if you tell them that, they say you're a legalist. And that is not what the writer to Hebrews would have said. It's not what most of the apostles would have said. All the apostles. And, and we've evolved to where we think the Gospel is about me and my personal salvation. And that is the end all. And that is not it. It's the beginning point. It is a relationship that leads to a partnership that shows the world we follow the one true living God. Every time God sent His people out, it was to show the world these people serve me. And we just don't proclaim that enough. But that's what He's saying to these people. Guys, you're missing the boat. You're wavering. And it's causing you not to understand the Word. It's causing you to, one, waste resources because you ought to be teaching. And third, it's causing you not to grow. You're still a little kid. You should be maturing. And part of the problem for adult men especially is when they're 40, 50, 60 years old, they can read the English. They're smart, educated men. And they think because they read the English, they ought to be able to understand the spiritual concepts. And they can't because they're wavering. And so, what Bob said over in Israel is what we all ought to say. I'm all in. God, I'm Yours. Use me. I don't know how to do it perfect, but I'm all in with You. Amen. And that's where we ought to be. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for Your love. Thank You for the reminder that You want us to be all in, not wavering. And we do pray for our city. We pray for our churches. Lord, we pray that, Lord, You would raise up leaders that would boldly proclaim this, that would boldly call men and women to follow You and to put You on display and to live lives that cause people to go, what is different about them? I pray, Lord, that You would just bring a revival to this city and to this nation and let us boldly tell people about Jesus Christ. We love you and thank you for this time. To your name be the glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.